So that's how it's going to be, huh? That's how it's going to be. You rolling? OHL Hockey is back. This is the Farwell and Pope Podcast. Originating from the 570 News Studio in Kitchener. Here are your hosts, Mike Farwell and Chris Pope. What's my reward for being half right? When were you half right? I was half right this playoff. I said months ago, before I lost the case of beer to you that I paid up last week, that London and Ottawa would be the OHL final. In the West, I lost the case of beer because I gave you the field versus the Knights. We all know what happened there. The storm storming back from 3 nothing down to knock the Knights off. But in the East... The Ottawa 67s are through. We have one side of the dance card complete. I was half right. You get nothing because your partner was fully right. Well, we'll be fully right probably by 8 o'clock tonight when this podcast airs. Wow. Saying. Saginaw's going <laughs> to finish it off. Either, yeah, listen, Guelph's got themselves in a bit of a pickle as it is. We'll talk more about the Western Conference. Uh, in apparently just a they're bit, okay but, in a pickle, but anyway. But at some point, you know how coaches, though, talk about chasing games? Yeah. The Guelph Storm have got to stop chasing series. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're coming back from this one. I don't think so either. Um, that Eastern Conference ended four games, Ottawa, zero, Oshawa. A clean sweep. Yes, Ottawa or Ottawa won in overtime in game four, but this was a sweep, the, the purest type of sweep, wasn't it? Like pure dominance, top to bottom. This was, with all due respect to Oshawa, I think everybody went, going into that series knew what was going to happen. Ottawa was going to come out of it. I couldn't agree more, but I am a little bit surprised that we didn't see a little more from Oshawa. Maybe they felt like they had shot their shot versus Niagara. There was so much going on there. The Ice Dogs, of course, being that team that loaded up, including adding a couple of former gens. So you have that subplot going in the series, and maybe they felt even subconsciously as though they had already summited that mountain. But I was a little disappointed. I thought Kyle Kaiser himself, and we talked about this last week, Kyle Kaiser himself could steal you a game in the series, and you've got enough going on there with the Oshawa Generals that I didn't think it would be a sweep. Clearly, Ottawa is as good as advertised, as good as they were during the regular season, and let's not forget as well, this Oshawa team, what a run this year, gave you a little glimpse. Holy Hannah, the way this team lines up again next year. Couldn't agree more. I, and you, you think about Kyle Kaiser. You know, we'll, we'll hear more from the Oshawa captain, Kyle McLean, in just a few minutes. But Kyle Kaiser and, and Kyle McLean says that, you know, he said after the game that he thought it was the best game he's ever seen a goaltender play in the game of hockey. Game four in a loss to Ottawa. And that's maybe because he only gave up two goals. Those two goals were two of 20 Ottawa scored in four games. 20 on Kyle Kaiser, one of the best goaltenders in the Ontario Hockey League, this Ottawa team is meant for one thing, and that's a Memorial Cup, and they are built that way. They are also a team, we just mentioned it with Oshawa, but the Ottawa 67s lining up for a year out too. Next year, they're not going to fall off the face of the earth, but you're absolutely right. Everything is going exactly as planned for this 67s team, and as planned, I mean, you go back to the beginning of this season. They made the deal for Mikey DiPietro before Christmas. They knew what they were doing, what they were trying to do. The team came out of the gates strong. They had that 23-game heater roughly midway through the season. And here they are now, the Ottawa 67s, 12-0 and in the postseason. No team 
No team in the modern era has gone, no team has ever gone three straight sweeps to the OHL final. The Windsor Spitfires of 1988, back when there was a funny bye in the OHL playoffs, the Spits won a championship with three four-game sweeps, sweeping Peterborough in the final. They had a second-round bye, though, did the Spits back in 88. So they went 12-0 and through the playoffs. But no team has ever gone 12-0 and to reach the OHL championship, and it's worth pointing out that the best playoff record in the modern era of the Ontario Hockey League is 16-2, and a mark set twice by the same team, the London Knights of 05 and 2016. 12 and 0 is pretty crazy when oh. it comes to playoffs. Like to not give up a game throughout the Eastern Conference, that is dominance. When we saw Ottawa, I said to you on the air and off the air that that's the team. After watching that game in Ottawa, that's the team. Yeah, I was going to say, when we saw Ottawa in Ottawa, yeah. they were also in Kitchener week two of the season, and the Rangers drummed them five yeah. to one. I mean, didn't look impressive at no, all. But, but that, I think that goes to under Turney, Bear, as they call him. That he's got them bought into the system. And Greg Walter said that in his postgame about that's a very good hockey club. That's why they're the best. They have bought into that system. He, he said they are very, very, very well coached. For another opposing coach to say that, that says a lot, I think, about the job that Bears done. A super stat or meaningless number okay, for you? Let's hear it. Ottawa was the only team in the Ontario Hockey League this year to surpass 100 points, right? Yep. Right. So last year, Sault Ste. Marie did it as well. But that's the first time it was done since 2012-2013. Is parity at its peak right now in the Ontario Hockey League? Hell no! Well, see, well, this is what I'm saying. It might be during the regular season. Yes, the teams load up at the deadline, but for no team, to, for only one team to have over 100 points, doesn't that say things are okay? This is where I go back to it, because you, you were saying that the, the top four, or the first round lopsidedness was bad for the league. The year that... Erie, London, and Sault Ste. Marie were all buzzsaws. Yep. 16-17. None of those teams had more than 100 points? Yes, I'm saying multi- they all did. The last two years are the only two years since 2012-2013 that only one team. Okay, sorry. I thought oh, you were my saying... No, I, should, no, I should make my I points more clear. <laughs> it's been a long day. Now we're all on the same page. I have a hand page. injury. I know. Um, the last two years are the only years since 2012-2013 that only one team has over 100 points. No, it just means that other teams are not doing well at all. The Erie Otters are no longer one of those teams chasing 100 points. The Windsor Spitfires are no longer one of those teams... But shouldn't another team be chasing? ...chasing 100 points. You, you've like heard other of, teams should be chasing. You've heard of the Hatfields and the McCoys? Sure. Okay, you've heard of the haves and the have-nots then, yes. too, right? There are haves in the Ontario Hockey League and there are have-nots, and I promise you... Of course. I promise it, you the have-nots will never have 100-point seasons. Ever. 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 That's pretty bold, but I'm just okay. I might I might be exaggerating that a little bit just to make the point, but truly, the have-nots. You even even when the Sudbury Wolves turn it around, and yeah. they had a pretty good run this year with Uko Pekalukanen, and they've got some bright spots for the future. But explain to me the scenario when the Sudbury Wolves ever have a 100 point season. Honestly, you they, don't they, think they, they would be, ever? No. They could be very good. They can win a division, ninety-two. I don't know what it's going to be, but I, I, I can't see the have-nots legitimately creating teams that will rattle off a hundred points. That's my take. So you're saying meaningless number? Absolutely meaningless number. Is what you're saying? And I'm I'm saying parity 
absolutely does not exist in the Ontario Hockey League. 1975-76, 102 points. For the Sudbury Wolves? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 40 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they had 91 this year. So maybe next year is the year. And you know what? In in the era of the three-point game, I, I just really think so points are so much easier to come by. Maybe 100 points isn't even, maybe 110 has to be the new 100. But That's impressive. I don't look at the Kingston's fact. never had one, just for the record. Well, see, this is, again, there are haves and there are have-nots. There will be, the have-nots will have their years, circa 2011 Owen Sound Attack, mm-hmm. right? The smallest market team in the OHL. And forgive me for not remembering how many points the attack had that year. But to see an attack team like that again roll over, for 100 points, it's just, it's hard to imagine. I'll give it to you. I just thought it was interesting. It's very interesting. The only team to have 100 points. I'll tell you something else that's interesting. I had dinner just before coming here tonight with my buddy Tim, who subscribed to the podcast on the spot. Perfect. Said on his way to work Friday when this releases, he's going to be listening for the first time. So oh, shout out, Timmy. No and pressure. Hey, as, as the spring rolls around, Tim's Tree Service. Give him a call. He'll help you out. This podcast brought to you by Tim's Tree Service. Shameless. I didn't even tell him I was doing oh, that. Oh, I don't care. I'll but, do it. By the way, that's Pope at underscore Chris Pope oh, yeah. on Twitter. I'm Farwell at Farwell underscore OHL. We, got, we did get one right. Evan Bouchard was named uh, Defenseman of the Year. <laughs> we've been terrible so, in that regard. Well, I think we've been pretty good. We only got the Rookie of the Year wrong. Well, that's true. Didn't I? I think I got Overage of the Year wrong. Because I gave Justin Brazo. Uh, most outstanding player. So I don't think I get... I can't remember what I did. I have oh, to go back and listen. Who'd you give it to? I'm That's trying to... terrible. Oh, you give it to Mac Hollowell. That's what I did? You're a new donkey. Well, I just... I wanted to be different because yeah. everybody was going to... Everybody knew it was going to be Brazil. So I wanted to do something different. Okay, well, there's a there's a difference between being different and being wrong. I was both. And here you were both. I was different and wrong. Differently wrong. Differently wrong. I think one of the uh, cruelest things about sports today is quite frankly and i'm pointing a finger right at us but is the media coverage because how long do you think you get following the end of a game the end of a series before you have to go and answer for it i'm not Four saying minutes. exactly right i'm not saying we ask the hardest of hardball questions in fact i think we're you know we just want to get a sense of what the experts the coaches the players saw felt etc but Holy heck, especially after a series to come back out and have to sit down behind a table and hold a press conference. No, thank you. You don't envy that. I don't envy that. I think it's one of the toughest things in the game today at all levels. Like you're a human being and losing sucks, especially in critical times, critical junctures. And I think we're going to get that sense when we hear from the team that came out on the wrong end of the Eastern Conference final the Oshawa Generals head coach Greg Walters along with team captain Kyle McLean. Sorry about my attire. There's lots of uh, tears and sweat from our players and in hugging them and thanking them for everything they did for us in the organization and it's uh, it's a tough way to, to go out um, but uh, they played hard to the last uh to the last whistle and led by our captain here and um, I'm proud of the way they they competed Kyle uh, 68 game seasons uh, three rounds of playoffs and 
Uh, tremendous effort tonight and a really strong effort from your goaltender. Share with us your thoughts on the game, and I'm sure it's, it's hard to find the positive at a time like this, but uh, I'm sure a season that you will you will always remember for the things you accomplished together. Yeah, um, the game itself, it's a little fresh right now, so not too much to say on that, but um, the season as a whole, um, I was very proud of the guys. We had a great season, I thought, and I was, uh, I was just very happy, proud to be a part of it as well play with those guys play under Wally um, you know, I tried to tried to tell the guys to hold their heads high because we did have a good year uh, and we accomplished a lot obviously a tough end but uh, yeah it's, it's fresh right now looking back on it but overall um, I was proud to be a part of everything they were so close though seconds down on the clock with a one nothing lead and you take a you take a delay a game penalty and you end up five on three against Ottawa. You gotta know how about and Ty Fallibur is the one who scores the game tying goal and then scores twenty seconds into overtime. I was only following that game through the OHL app and primarily I would be checking in because I've been watching the sixty sevens record. You'll remember on last week's podcast I asked Andre Turney about being 8-0 and and how he keeps the team focused and prepared all the time, and he basically told me to blink off. But I've been watching because I've been curious to see, knowing that the best in the modern era is a 16-2 and record through the playoffs. So I'm watching the score on the OHL app, and I'm, okay, Oshawa's going to get their game. And you see 2-1 final in OT, and I check the summary. Felliber with, what, 34 seconds to go or 36? And then 20 seconds in the OT. And of all guys, the guy... We would have thought until Justin Brazo came along, right? This guy's winning absolutely the scoring title this year, and he's—I think he's finished on sixty-nine as Brazo went or fifty-nine. Pardon me, as Brazo went over sixty. But man, oh man, what what a way to finish a, a game and a series! I loved his game tying goal. The pass was so slow going over to him; it gave Kaiser enough time to go over and get set for the shot. Everyone knew he was shooting it. It was a one timer, and it was just simply, "I'm better than you." And I always say that I love that in sport. I love it when Roy Halladay would pitch, and everyone knew, here comes your 12-6 curve, and you're not touching it. And he didn't touch it. It happens. I love that. And that was one of those occasions where Ty Feller, everyone knew the clapper was coming, and he just ripped it. And in overtime, pass goes across the ice, and you know it's coming. Ripped it. Ball game. I absolutely love it. And we had a great chat with... Um, the Ottawa 62nd or 62nd, 67's general manager. Yeah, James Boyd. Yeah, in this studio. And he, we talked about Ty Feliber after and just about the transformation that has happened with the former first round selection to the Saginaw Spirit. Went 10th overall to the Spirit in his draft year. Just about what he's done off ice to get himself in proper shape to earn himself an NHL contract this year. And I think for a guy that some probably gave up on early in his career to come back and have the season he's having right now and to to, to transfer it into uh, an NHL contract says a lot about the kid. And I think it's time we should hear what he thought of those two goals. I like Coach said, our first two periods weren't that great. And then, uh, you know, we kind of got talking to by coach and uh, we needed a little wake-up call. And um, everybody took that in a positive way, though. Uh, coach wasn't kind of yelling at us because he was... Well, he's probably a little mad, but uh, you know, he just wants us to succeed, and 
Um, we all took that as an opportunity to show them how bad we want it, and uh, we did that. Tie your 12 and 0 now uh, in the playoffs. You get that late goal in over or in the third period. You get an early one in overtime. Certainly feels like there's something special about this group being able to tie it up and, and win. Can you articulate in some way what's special about this group? I think that we're a very opportunistic team. Um, you know, we see an opportunity. Uh, we step up to the occasion. We always rise to it. And um, a big thing with our team is even if we're down or, or whatever the score is, there's no quit in our locker room. Um, from the whole training staff to our players, uh, everybody believes in the group that we have. And, um, you know, other than the three acquisitions we got at the deadline, uh, everybody's been with it every step of the way, and we've known how hard we've worked. And the new guys coming in day one, they knew how hard we worked. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's nice tonight, but uh, the job's not done yet. Kid speaks well, doesn't he? Backs up his game with his <laughs> answers, yeah. right? I, I like it. And <laughs> you, could, you could hear, obviously, Andre Turigny, uh I guess when he gets angry... He gets angry. Oh, he's, a, he's a big man, and him <laughs> yelling would be very scary to me. One thing I think you have to remember about this series is I think Oshawa was at a disadvantage coming in, and I said that on the last pod about Guelph coming in because they came off such emotional highs. You can't match that again. It's not human nature, much like we saw during the San Jose-Vegas Game 7. San Jose's probably going to get thr- thumped in Game 1, because you can't meet that high again. It's so tough. You had Oshawa coming in, who just beat Niagara, who they were the underdogs going in against, against their former captain, against their, one of their best defensemen, and you win that series. That's a huge emotional win. It's easy to get up for games like that because you know Paquette and Stadnika are on the other side. This is a team that you made trades with, and they took your best players essentially. Guelph comes in after the huge comeback against London, and now they're getting smashed by Saginaw, and they just they don't have that same, that same passion, that same oomph, if you will. And I think that's where Oshawa really fell short. Let me ask you this. Okay. We've talked about the Ottawa 67s and how they're going through this league like a buzzsaw in these playoffs, and it's been well documented. We've talked a lot about Ty Felliber. Like a he, knife through my finger. He mentioned, that's the hand injury that Popper <laughs> mentioned before, by the way. Uh, Felliber mentions Kyle Maximovich in one of his answers. You've got Austin Keating. You've got weapons over there with the Ottawa 67s offensively. Maximovich, Chioto. Chioto. Holscher. Uh, yeah. Like Rossi. Keep it going, right? <laughs> keep it going. Da- up and down that line of Shemalevsky. Oh, yeah, right. Right, that guy. I mean, come on. And we haven't even touched... The defensive side of things, yeah. it's really impressive. But we talk about this all the time, Popper. All the time we talk about this. And it's impossible, quite frankly, in my opinion, to win a championship in hockey without above-average goaltending. Now, we also mentioned earlier in this podcast that the Ottawa 67s are lining up pretty good for next year, too, when you try to read the tea leaves. Cedric Andre is going to get his chance to carry that team much like he did before Mikey DiPietro arrived in Ottawa. But this team in Ottawa right now is 12-0 and through the playoffs and Mikey DiPietro hasn't had to steal him one. So I guess what I'm asking you yeah. to get around to the question because I said I had something to ask yeah. you. How much does goaltending mean? It means a whole heck of a lot. It, whether he hasn't had to steal one for them, he didn't lose one for them and that's the important thing. 
goaltending can easily win you a game. Well, not so easily. They can win you a game, but they can more easily lose you a game. And calling a spade a spade, we're Kitchener broadcasters. We've seen that from time to time over the last couple of years in Kitchener. And Mikey's numbers may not be Mikey-esque, but he doesn't need to be Mikey-esque. But where's the Mikey that was tearing this league apart? Where's the Mikey that had a save percentage of almost 950 with an underdog Windsor team last year? Where's the Mikey that has the OHL record for career shutouts? Where is that kid? He doesn't... What do, you, what do you expect him to do? I don't know. I just I, I think I'm expecting Mikey put up Mikey-like numbers. Those became those became I know. the bar. I know. And and what we're seeing, I think, is Mikey has never had to play, even given his Memorial Cup championship with that star-studded Windsor team, he hasn't had to play games where he only sees 20 to 30 shots. And that is a total other animal as a goaltender. Every goaltender will tell you, we love to see shots. I I would love it when a team would come down in the first period and throw or like early on and just throw a couple muffins at you, let you get a feel for the puck. <laughs> Thank you, because that is exactly what I wanted. And I think that's what Mikey is trying to deal with right now. You look at the four games in that Eastern Conference. The fourth game was the most shots he saw, and that was thirty-seven. The first game he saw uh, thirty-two. The two middle games. 27 and 21. So you think he thrives on the workload? Absolutely. That, that's, what, that's what, yes, yes, he does. We all know that. Look at, look at his workload and look at how he's thrived. But he's learning how to play when you don't have that workload. He's never had it before. His first year in Windsor, he got peppered. Second year in Windsor, his first full-time as a starter was when they won the Memorial Cup. And if you look back, they didn't make it out of the first round. And then in that Memorial Cup, he was their best player. Without Mikey DiPietro, that team is long gone. But the, and this is what I mean. And make no mistake, I'm not trying to knock the kid at all. For I'm sure. just wondering where those numbers went because you can't dispute the fact that those numbers are no longer Mikey's. I got it. I got an answer for you. Okay. I know where the numbers went. All right. Andre Turney, he and Ty Feliber know better than I. They'll tell you what they think of Mikey. The big thing with Mikey since the start of the playoff and. You know, okay, we're 12 and 0 for someone who did not follow our team, but for someone who been at our game every night, we we went through adversity. And Mikey was phenomenal every time we needed him to to be phenomenal, to to, to, to keep us in the game or to make key save. The game in Sudbury, game four, the game two against Sudbury when we we won five nothing, yeah, but it was one nothing at the end of the second. Uh, we had moment in that series where the game was on the line at 3-3 or 2-2 and Mikey stand tall. So more and more now we're, we're, we're really confident because we know he will make the key save at key moment. It's not, the numbers are good for Mikey, but he's been way better than his number. Yeah, I think uh, for me it's, it's nice having a goaltender like that. Um, you know, he, he's dealt with some adversity this year. He's been... He was with us for a week, then he was at World Juniors for two weeks, then he was up with the Canucks for 10 days or so. And, um, you know, you could see that that was a lot for him. But then he, he kind of found his way and got settled in. And uh, everybody in the room is just, um, you know, I think treated him well. And, and um, for him to come in our room is, is awesome with his experience. And he's a great guy to have around. Obviously, his stats speak for himself and his uh, experience. And, uh, you know, he's a great guy and uh, a good Good card player, too. 
tough break, Farzi. We always knew that uh, Mikey DiPietro was a better goaltender than myself, and now we know he's a better card player than you. <laughs> I, I want my shot. <laughs> I want my shot. Off-season's coming yeah. up. Let's get into a game now. <laughs> All right, you degenerate. Uh, <laughs> speaking of goaltending. Oh, yeah, let's go. I, yeah. I can't believe we've waited this long I know. into the pod to get to it. All right, I'm just going to serve it up to you. How much did I'm, you love it? Love it? You loved it. Loved what? Ivan Prozvatov? Yes. Hated it. Okay, serve it up to me. What we, how well, do, this is what I was, was going to say to you. I was going to say, when you saw it happen, what did you think? Okay, so here, honestly, I so I was watching that game, and I, in my living room, went, huh? like, I, I was audibly, you know, aghast by whatever. I'm like, oh, my God, did he just do that? But here's the thing. I, I said, I said not five minutes earlier, I said, watch out, because Prozvatov, look, He's that guy that does the cartwheels when he wins a star. He, he's very emotional and, and, dare I say, a little bit fragile emotionally. And we've seen, we've seen elements of him reacting poorly. So the moment that Murray got the five-minute penalty, you knew there was a chance for the complexion of the game to change. And I said, watch out for Prozvatov now. Because it's going to be on him. This team is facing adversity. And the storm are coming. And the storm came. And then, after he complained from the game-tying goal, I'm pretty sure it was the game-tying goal, and there was nothing to complain about. It was a phantom interference or something that he was looking for. And I said again, this is it. He's off the rails. Now, when I recognized or thought I recognized that he was off the rails, did I expect he was going to make a save take the puck and bat it baseball style out of play? No. No? But holy... I thought we all saw that coming. Cow with that kid. Holy cow. I I mean, given what we know of Ivan Prosvatov, okay, sure. But holy cow that he did that in a playoff game. Which wasn't over at the time. Yeah. It, uh... He was waiting on a whistle that came late. No, he wasn't. Regardless of that. He was not waiting on anything. Well, he just wanted to get rid of it because the whistle hadn't come yet, regardless of that. Stupid. Stupid. Just a stupid move. It's inexcusable. It's selfish and stupid. And I think he, I, I, I know the word stupid is a harsh word to some, but I think he would tell you the same thing because he put his team at a disadvantage. Tristan Lennox has been fantastic in relief. Don't get me wrong. Cambridge kid, way to go. Fantastic. Say percentage of over 930, I think. Um, I'm just double-checking here. Yeah, 933. But I just think that's such a bonehead play. You don't need to do that. Keep your emotions in check, especially as a goaltender. You have to. I get if you're taking it. Like, listen, I took my fair share of penalties as a goaltender, slashing people in my crease, punching people that were coming close to me. Sure. Batting a puck. And I know... Their media outlet says that he did it numerous times throughout the year. I don't care why you're doing that to begin with. Just take the whistle. Every goaltender knows, take the whistle. Who said he did that multiple times through the year? Batted a puck out of play? No, but he was trying to put it down the ice. He was trying to clear it out of his zone. No, he wasn't. That's such a dumb thing to try to do. Take the whistle. What he did was deliberate. There's no No, doubt in my mind. No, he didn't try to knock it into the crowd. Yes, he did. That's dumb too. I know, but what do you mean no? No, I meant you're dumb. (laughs) How do you hit it in that direction without trying to hit it out of play? Well, I think when he came out, he spun, and as he was, 
if he would have stayed with his body facing the opposite side, he would have put it down the ice. But he spun around and it ended up sending it into the crowd. There's no way he intentionally meant to do that. Everybody knows there's been three times this season where somebody's been suspended for five games for doing that. There's no way he intendedly tried to hit the puck out into the crowd. He yeah. tried to clear it. It was a mistake, but I don't know why you're trying to bat it out like bat it out of your zone like that anyway. No. That's where I'm at. He batted it into the crowd on purpose. Okay, so put yourself into that anyway, scenario. Why did he do it? Why would you, why would you try came, to bat it into the crowd? Because he, he was unglued. He was frustrated. He wanted to make a point. Where's my whistle? Why didn't you call goaltender interference that didn't exist? He was showing up everybody. He was visibly showing his frustration. I'm, I'm convinced. But I'll let you have, we can disagree on that because nobody really knows except Ivan Prosvitov. But I do want to come back to your stupid comment because okay. I'd like to add. I'd like to put some other people in the stupid line. Okay. okay, and the other people that belong in the stupid line are the people that are somehow trying to say that this rule and or suspension should be modified, mm. or there should be some sort of yes. gray area so that you could have a range of number of games. No, the the rule actually, as as cruel as it comes off as sounding. It's perfect. It's kind of like puck over the glass, which I call the cruelest penalty in all of sports. But it's black and it's white. And in this case, shooting a puck out of play during a stoppage. Five games is, I think, the perfect penalty for that play because it's so blinking dangerous. I know that pucks go out of play in the game all the time. I get it. But it happens during the game when presumably... The fans are all watching, paying attention, etc. It is such a dangerous thing to do that you have to... And yes, the puck that Feliber, or pardon me, that uh, Prozvatov put out of play, I don't know, depending on who it hits, it might not do a whole lot of damage. Not like it was going out 100 miles an hour. Yeah. That's not the point. The point is you have to put into people's heads that it's a very dangerous and stupid thing to do. So stop trying to come up with a new... Uh, an amended rule. It's the perfect rule, the perfect number of games. It's black, it's white, it's over. I agree. Thank you. I, I, I don't think that there should be any black or white, and I gotta, I gotta say real quick, great job to the OHL. They have sent out a release on every suspension thus far in the playoffs. Well, that's because they only have eight teams to but follow. Well, for the whole playoffs. Yeah. I just mean, they've been doing a good job. Okay. And I give them a stick tap for not lessening it because it is the playoffs. Absolutely. And because he is a very integral part of this. Yep. I just think you put your team in an awful spot, regardless of how Tristan Lennox is playing. You're the starting goaltender of this club. Everybody knows that. You bat a puck out of the air in game two. If they win, I guess tonight, when this podcast airs on Friday, if they win, that's only three games. So he's out one and two of the final against Ottawa. He could come back and the spirit could be down to Cobb. You're awful. You're reading my mind. Here comes my next big question. Okay. Okay. We both agree. And I think anybody that's watching the Ontario Hockey League right now agrees that Tristan Lennox, under extreme duress, has been terrific. Man, he's been a stud. Even in the loss. 16? Right. (laughs) 16-year-old rookie. Welcome to the Ontario Hockey League conference finals against the Super Squad. From Guelph. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Nick Suzuki's coming down on you. Oh, now it's Isaac Ratcliffe. How, yeah. how about Nate Schnarr? How about Dmitry Samarukov yeah. blasting from the blue line? Okay, so Tristan Lennox has been terrific. Yeah. This suspension likely bleeds into the OHL final. Likely. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm just going to say that Saginaw makes it through. How? How do you go back to Ivan Prosvitov? 
I know he's your starter. But look what he did. Look at the position he put your team in. Look at how easily he became unglued. And then you've got this kid, 16 years old, comes in and says, I got this. I don't think you take him back out. I don't think you can until he makes you take him back out. That's what I think. (sighs) Sorry, Chris Lazary. You have got yourself a dilemma. Yeah. He's really like, man, I thought when when he was suspended for five, I thought that's it. They're not winning another game. I didn't think so either. The the monsters from Hello Space Jam reference uh, that are the Guelph Storm, I thought they were just going to light Lennox up. And they haven't quite done that. They they won game one, yes. But as Lazary said, or well, the first game of Prosperitoff suspension, game one is what I mean, game three. Um, Chris said that, you know, we need to do a better job in front of them. They certainly did that in game four. Did they ever? Great job. Uh, big win, 4-1. I, I don't know. Can... <sighs> That's a tough decision. I never thought of that. I think you automatically give it to him back because he is your starter. But if Lennox is putting up a 9.33, he might have just won that. Like, if he continues to put up a 9.33, it all depends. I'm I'm talking as if Saginaw wins on Friday in game five. But it all depends on what he does against Ottawa. Because if you lose 6-1, yes, then you're going back to Prosvitov. But I'm, I'm saying, if, if, Lennox keeps going, if Lennox keeps going like he has been, and I know Prozvatov's your guy, but look what your guy did. Well, if he keeps going like he is, they're probably up 2 nothing on Ottawa. That's what I'm saying. But they so, won't be. But Yeah, you're probably right. Either way, <laughs> I, I, I still think, like, even if it's 1-1, even if, it's a, even if the games are 3-2, how do you, how do you go back? Because now you're bringing a guy back in that hasn't seen the ice in a week and a half. Right? Yeah, but see, that's not that bad because that's just regular season. You gave him a you gave him a game off on a weekend. Yeah. Right? Anyway, well, I don't know. You gave him a game off. I'll tell you this. And I am nowhere near the caliber of an OHL coach. But right now, Tristan Lennox has taken my team as far as he can. Sorry, Ivan. So what if you're down two cop? Don't care. Unless, or unless, one cop, even. Unless it's 8 nothing, 9 2. Unless Tristan Lennox really gives you a reason to say he's not ready for this. But Ivan Prozvatov... Hasn't done that yet. Prozvatov hurt your team. Lennox has, has salvaged it. But what Prozvatov did was so selfish, so inconsiderate of his teammates. It was just dumb. It was, and that too. So I, Tristan Lennox is my man. That's what I would do. How much pressure do you feel? Isn't, I think Prozvatov's drafted or NHL property. So how much, how much pressure are they going to get from his NHL club? Great question. Philadelphia Flyers. Great question. How much pressure are they? (laughs) Not only was he drafted. Oh no, sorry. That's not him. I looked up someone else. Ignore my last comment. <laughs> Google auto auto populated. Prosvatov. This is how much preparation we do on the Farwell and Pope podcast. Arizona. Pardon me. How much pressure do they get from Arizona? I think you get a ton of pressure because the NHL club, but I think also the NHL club saw what this kid does under pressure. We all saw what he does under pressure. It's not a good look. I don't know. That that is extremely tough. He's got a nine thirty save percentage in the playoffs this year, and you're going to go to a sixteen year old. Well, the sixteen year old with the nine thirty three save percentage. Sure, I am in two games. Yes, I know. And again, Tristan Lennox. But I, all I'm Listen, saying Guelph right now, Guelph could come back. Pepper, Tristan yes. Lennox. His confidence gets shot, and this yes. thing's over in six. All I'm saying, or seven. All I'm saying is that for me, 
Tristan Lennox now has to play his way out of the job because certainly in the two games he has played since coming in, not to mention the relief job, they still won game two when Lennox came in to finish it off. Yeah. Because Prosvatov got the game misconduct. So Lennox comes in cold as a rookie. Kitty bars the door, gets the win on home ice. Then goes to Guelph, gets peppered, but is a star of the game, and rightfully so, in the loss, making, what, 41 saves. And then he wins the next game. He has been terrific in two games and a bit. If he stumbles, sure, go back to the puck batter. But if he doesn't, Tristan Lennox is my guy in Saginaw. Disagree, but uh, we will see come sometime during the championship series with all due respect to our friends in Guelph. Okay, let's remember this because last week we already had to eat our crow yeah, saying it was over versus it. London. I'll eat anything. Look at the size of me. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, over this time uh, for sure. Though. Uh, Ivan Prozvatov <laughs> gets a five-game suspension for batting the puck into the stands. You know who else got a five-game suspension for putting the puck into the stands? I seem to recall it happening to a player in Kitchener because we were there. It did, and you had a chance to catch up with the Texas star, or I guess now former Texas star, Riley Damiani. I never even got a chance really to talk to you about signing the contract. What was that experience like when when Dallas reached out and said, hey, we've got a contract we wanted to put your name on? Well, um, they were talking about my agent, and my agent was just forwarding the information to me. And um, you never know that... Sometimes they say that they want to, and then it doesn't work out. And um, sometimes negotiations don't go as planned. But um, everything got done exactly how I wanted to. Um, they, my agent took care of everything. He did a great job um, negotiating, and, and Dallas was really understanding with, with what I wanted. And, and everything just, just kind of worked out. And, uh, family and friends come over and uh, just, just had a great time. We celebrated and, and it was a lot of fun. What does this mean to you, Riley, as a hockey player? We talk about it a lot. You look at the Ontario Hockey League as that stepping stone to pro. I know you realize that from a very young age you want to become a professional hockey player and now you've got that first professional contract. What does that say to you? What does that mean to you? about your hockey career? Uh, I'm just looking at it as a new start. Um, obviously, uh, it's what you dream about. It's, it's what you play for. And um, I'm looking at it as a fresh start now and, and it's another stepping stone to uh, to the highest level in, in hockey. And, um, obviously, Kitchener's helped me out a lot uh, through this. and I've had three great years there and I'm coming back to the fourth and um, it's just, it's just surreal, uh, to be able to get that contract and, and be able to move forward and really develop my game with pros now and, and develop as a pro and, and take everything I learned back to Kitchener and, and teach the younger guys and, and really let them kind of get the feel for it that I got and, and make sure they succeed as well. Obviously the... Rangers season didn't end the way you wanted it to. We'll come back to that in a moment. But the bright side, if there is one, is that it gave you the opportunity to get up to the AHL for a handful of games. How 
How nervous were you when you walked into an AHL dressing room for the first time? I didn't really know what to expect. Um, there's, lot, there's guys on that team with, with kids, and they're married. And um, I'm, I'm still a kid myself. So um, that helped in a way because they, they know how to work with younger guys, and, and they're used to younger guys coming in, especially at this time with uh, – college guys coming over and uh, junior guys as well, they get eliminated. So um, they they helped out a ton. Uh, they made it really easy, really early. And um, I was excited I got to do that because uh, not everyone can say that they, they got to experience something like that. But definitely different. But at the same time, uh, I really enjoyed it. Did you catch up with this old friend named Adam Maskren? I did, yeah. Um, my first night there, uh, he came to the hotel and just kind of hung out with me and, and gave me a breakdown of basically what they do and, and how their practices are and, and stuff like that. So he, he really helped out uh, my first couple of days. And then throughout the whole time I was there, he was, he was always there. He's the same old mash, um, funny guy. He had a great year this year, and um, I'm happy with him. How much different was it in terms of the way the team practices, the pace of the game, and you know how strong the players, how much stronger they might be? How much different was that? Uh, the main difference is probably the attention to detail. Uh, everything's got to be spot on all the time. And, and if you're late 30 seconds for a meeting, you're not in the lineup. And um, if if you are messing up drills in practice or not focused for practice, not preparing the right way, then you're going to be missing games. Nobody wants to do that, but um, that's just the reality of it up there. And uh, I learned that really quick. And, and Kitchener's taught me that, too. Uh, that's how Jay carries our team out. Um, don't show up late. Uh, pay attention. Practice like you play. Um, all these little things that that go a long way, and I think Jay and, and the whole coaching staff in Kitchener has helped me a lot with that, and uh, being able to just uh, pay attention to all, all the little things in my game. So obviously having a guy like Mash there with you to kind of ease the transition or give you a heads up on what's going to be expected helps a little bit, but what was going through your mind, Riley, when you stepped onto the ice as an AHL player for the first time? I did. More, I took in warm up uh, in San Antonio the day before, and I was so nervous going out in San Antonio. And it was just for warm up. I knew I wasn't playing the game. <laughs> I just went out there and, and warmed up and uh, just shot the pucks around. And, and I was I was really nervous. And I think it was the building too that we were in. It was the San Antonio Spurs arena. And there's there's a lot of history in that ring, so um, just being there and then and then being able to warm up, it kind of helped me get my feet wet a little bit and see like these guys don't mess around and these guys are, are really serious with everything they do. So uh, that helped. And then going into the game, uh, it was the same thing. Legs felt heavy to start. Uh, I don't think I hit the net once in warm up. Um, I was just like little shaky, but then once I got my first couple shifts in, I, I realized that 
I got to be going 100% all the time. I can't take a shift off. Uh, can't take a playoff. Uh, just got to do every little thing out there, and that's how I want. It's funny you mentioned the arena because we talk in the OHL about London kind of being a mini Scotiabank arena. We know that the odd is this beautiful hockey arena that's been around for so many years and has so much history. But when you look around that arena in San Antonio, you talk about the history and the Spurs playing there as well. Does, is that like a welcome to the pros kind of moment for you? Yeah, I, I guess you could say that. Um, it was just, uh, everything was so different. Like uh, you see all the banners up there for, for the Spurs and, and retired numbers and you see that at every rink but when you see all their NBA championships and Congress championships it, it was just amazing and even when I was watching the game I, I was sending pictures to uh, my brothers because they're big basketball guys so uh, and they loved it too they wish they could have been there but um, no it's just even their uh, Jumbotron it's got like it has the screens on the inside of the Jumbotron for everyone that's hitting the lower and it was just really different. Yeah, incredible experience. Uh, let's come back to the end of the Rangers season because we haven't had a chance to really chat since then. Uh, has the uh, ha- has the bitterness disappeared a little bit over the weeks since the season ended for you here in Kitchener? Not really, no. Um, still thinking about it, still thinking about what we could have done better and and where where we kind of lost our focus going into the playoffs. But um, at the same time, really proud of everyone in Kitchener, all the younger guys stepping up. Uh, I don't think anyone expected us to finish where we did. And uh, it was, I wouldn't say it was a successful season because we always want to go as far as we can in the playoffs. But uh, for the most part, I thought we played some really good hockey this past season. And, I'm looking forward to next year. When you talk about the younger guys and, and how they played through this year and the, the playoff disappointment notwithstanding, Riley, how would you compare it to a season earlier when you went to Game 7 versus the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds in the Western Conference Final? Uh, it, it, and, I, and I mean that in terms of maybe what the guys this year maybe something you saw in them or the experience they gained that might help this Ranger team get back to a point like that in the near future? Uh, well, in my first year, we got eliminated by uh, Owen Towns the first round. And you could just see uh, the fire in the eyes of some of the guys that were coming back. And, and you almost knew that uh, we were, we were going to put something together in my second year. And then Playing up one of the conference finals, we were one shot away from being in the finals. And, um, just, I, I saw that again this year. Um, you see all the guys that, that are returning, even the younger guys. Everyone hates to lose. Um, everyone wants to be a winner, and, and everyone in our room has been a winner in the past. And uh, you can just see how how upset some guys were, and they now know what it takes to play in the playoffs and, and you got to really elevate, elevate your game and, and bring it every night so um, I think it really helps a lot of the younger guys and I know it helped me in my first year um, just seeing what it was all about and then second year is where 
everything kind of took off. But, um, no, you, you could see it in that room. Everyone was kind of uh, kind of mad and, and pretty upset about the whole thing. But we're ready to go for next year. Do you still follow the playoffs? Can you do that, or do you have to turn it all off once you're out? I haven't watched the game at all. And um, all I saw was the suspension for the goalie. I was going <laughs> to... Because I was getting tagged on Twitter like crazy. So uh, I, I, I was looking on Twitter, and I'm getting tagged in all these different tweets, and my name's everywhere. And, and then they started talking about the suspension again, and I was like, are you kidding me? Is it still coming up? And then I saw that somebody else did it, so... I guess I'm not alone. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna mention it because it was the strangest thing to see a goaltender do that. But uh, yeah, like you said, you're not alone, right? This is a suspension, and you had to suffer it, and so too does Ivan Prosvetov. Yeah, I totally agree. I think if one guy has to serve it, even in the middle of the year, um, every other guy has to serve it as well. Uh, doesn't matter time. Doesn't matter if you're in the finals. If you do something like that and they made the rule, it's got to stand. And uh, I think they did the right thing, giving them the five games. Obviously, it's unfortunate for um, Saginaw, but it has to be done. And, and it's the right call. They, they made the right move there. So what happens for the summer, Riley, to get ready for next year, your fourth year with the Kitchener Ranger? Now that you're under a pro contract, uh, does that change anything in terms of something maybe the, the Dallas Stars are leading now for your off-season training or anything like that? Uh, just got to get, get bigger, get stronger, get faster. Um, obviously, if I start getting bigger, um, bigger and stronger, then, then speed will come and, and my shot will improve and, and everything will kind of touch up. So uh, just really go from there and really just do everything I can to, to become a pro and, and treat my body like, like a pro. And uh, You see a lot of the guys up to the next level and, and what they eat and how they prepare for even practices and, and especially games. It's something else compared to junior. You, you don't really see that at the junior level. So uh, they want me to get to that point. And, and just really take care of my body and, and train the right way and prepare the right way. And, and once I learn all, all those habits, uh, I'll definitely bring them back to Kitchener and, and really teach the guys a couple things. Because of our ongoing schedule at this time of the year, you did the interview by yourself. But I, want, I wish I would have been there because I wanted to ask him, every time Riley walks off the bus, and I don't care if I tell tales here, in the winter, during the season, whenever he walks off the bus, he pulls down my hat over my eyes. I wanted to ask him, can you stop? Or maybe not, can you stop? Just why? Why does he do that? He's so mean. Probably because <laughs> your seat is on the aisle. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I guess the hat's there. No, I've just given him a hard time. Don't wear the hat. He's a, he's a great kid. <laughs> he is. He's a great kid. And uh, I still haven't listened to the interview, so I, <laughs> I'll listen when this podcast airs. Um, but a great kid, and one that when he first came into the league, we both said from almost day one, and this kid's not going to be here very long. I have a question for you. He went up to the American Hockey League this year at the end of the season. Is he back next year? Yes, I think he's back next year, but I would have pegged him, even after being drafted to the Dallas Stars, uh, I would have pegged him for still a five-year 
OHLer, the knock, and you heard him talk about it in the conversation there that we just had, is his size. And you can want to be bigger, and you can try to get bigger, but there's only so much that one can do. Certainly, So he's got some growing to do. But he's got one more year left. He's signed now. So after his 19-year-old season in the Ontario Hockey League, he will be back with those Texas stars, presumably for the future. So he's instead of being a five-year junior, he will be a four-year junior. So I hope Rangers fans have enjoyed Riley Damiani and will enjoy him for one more season. And then he's off to try his hand at professional hockey. So two years from now, they'll be without Garefa, Yancis, Morales, uh, Morales and Damiani. Interesting times in Rangers Nation this year. <laughs> <laughs> so big decisions to make. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, some of my favorite, I'll, I just, a quick tale on Riley, is some of my favorite times with him is when um, I'm coming up for the pregame and uh, after doing uh, my interviews with the opposing head coach at the odd, and Riley does some stretching on his own in the bowl uh, near an elevator that I walk by every time. And we always have a, just a quick chat. And to, to you, you get to know these players, of course, we do, being around them. But some of those uh, off-the-record chats with him, they're, it's getting some insight from that player and how they're feeling and how the team is and how he's doing in just regular life. That's the part I like about this job, is when you get to know the, the people as opposed to the player. I think there's two separate. He's a good kid. And he wants to see, he wants to have another taste of that success in Kitchener. We'll see what he can do. And again, you hear it in that interview, uh, how he feels about leading, being a leader on this team in the 2019-2020 season. Should be interesting. So if you're still with us, I just want to pinpoint something real quick. Throughout the month of May. Oh gosh, yeah. We're going to kind of uh, throw some duct tape on the podcast. <laughs> it's going to be a little different than normal, but we're going to get it out to you as frequently as we can. There's something happening during the month of May. And we do interviews on this show, and I think it's a time when we do have an audience that maybe you should answer some of my questions. Oh, come on. Yeah, real quick. Just real quick for anybody sure. who doesn't know. Yeah. What do you do during the month of May? Are you busy at all? During the month of May, I get a little bit busy. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. It's kind of like the Ontario Hockey League season, 68 games. It's like 68 days. Okay, 31. Anyway, month of May is Cystic Fibrosis Awareness Month. It is a cause that is very near and dear to my heart. I lost two sisters to cystic fibrosis many years ago, and I now fundraise in their memory. So I run this campaign called Farewell for Hire because I love alliteration. It just worked out that oh, way. Who doesn't? When I, uh, I decided one year that I was just going to, instead of just asking for donations, I'd offer myself out for odd jobs. I'll mow your lawn. I'll wash your car. I'll do this. I'll do that. You pay me by donation to cystic fibrosis. It's been great. It's been very well received. This is going to be the sixth year that I've done it. So in the month of May, uh, I'll be weeding a lot of gardens, uh, cleaning some gutters. I've got a deck to power wash, uh, you know, things already falling into the calendar. But hey, if you've got something that needs doing, it's the right time of year. Did I mention my buddy, Tim, and Tim's tree service? He's got the heavy stuff. But hey, shoot me an email, farwell, the number four, hire at gmail.com. And uh, I'll come to your place, do an odd job, and you make a donation to cystic fibrosis. 31 days. I think we could set a goal for $100 a day. That's 3100 bucks. That's a pretty good goal for you. I love it. Let's do that. What, what's your goal this year, Mike? <laughs> uh, the goal this year is a little more aggressive than 3100 oh, Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's 150000 Pardon? That's the goal. That's the goal. You got to aim high, Popper. If you're not aiming high, <laughs> then you got nothing to aim for. Uh, last year, somehow... Somehow, some way, last year during the campaign, we made like $138,000. It was ridiculous. 
So I thought, okay, well, we'll just, we'll just goose it a li- <laughs> little bit more. Let's see if we can squeeze out another 12, 15K and uh, see if we can't hit 150 this year. Just wait till you find out the job I have for you oh, this May. Oh, dear Lord. Remember my, all those days you get in my car? <laughs> yes, we have driven to a few road games yeah. together. What was the state of the inside of my car? That, there, I can't see the inside of your car. <laughs> All right. You will come May. I can't wait, buddy. Real quick, what's the weirdest job you've ever done? Oh, hands down. It always comes back to uh, cleaning the sheath of a horse. A, a sheath? Correct. What's, a, what's a, a sheet? A sheet of a horse? Sheath. Oh, what's a, she- what's a sheath? A sheath is a uh, <laughs> protective covering... For a male horse's genitalia. Oh. It requires a latex glove and proper lubrication. Right. And uh, you can figure out the rest, folks. <laughs> Google Google that. Get uh, back to me. On that note, make sure you support Farwell for Hire. If you're thinking about sponsoring this podcast, you know what? Just throw the money to Farwell for Hire. We had some big goals, and we'll make sure to get this podcast out to you as much as we can in May. And we have to just call Farzi some night and ask him what weird job he's doing and what sheath he has in his hands. Oh, jeez. I don't, <laughs> no more sheath. Okay, I'll still do the sheath, but it just better be a good donation. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. Yeah, we'll keep them coming as best we can. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell for Hire and Pope podcast. This has been the Farwell and Pope podcast, posted weekly. If you have questions, topics, or a story you would like to be covered, simply email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.